You are listening to a Reverie Studios production. Download the Reverie app for the best in queer-rated entertainment. It's available on iOS, Android, Apple TV, Chromecast, Roku, and Amazon Fire. Another edition of Black on Black Time. This is your host, Nick Gaines. This is your host, Arna Landrum. Ooh. Well, hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just wake up? <laughs> no. It's funny. Like, this is one of those moments where I wish everybody could see me because, like, my whole body is kind of a little bit dancing. Not a lot. Oh. Just a little, like, is it like the hand on the chest or is it the hand on the chest when you like kind of like pump the when you like push your shoulders back (laughs) oh no it's like the um it's not quite it's not quite hands in the air it's like hands right by my face kind of making some circular motions like hey okay okay all right mine is more of like the hand in like my chest like you know like kind of by my heart a little bit Mm -hmm. like put your hand down and you just like you know like give them a little bit of shoulder i always listen you know what i knew i loved yvonne orgy from insecure when she says that she always has a body roll tucked in her spirit i said you know what that's my girl right there because i always have a body roll in my spirit always <laughs> and like the most inappropriate of places like a body roll or like some sort of like a grind or a little twerk like always in my spirit I don't believe there's an inappropriate place for a body roll or a liberation twerk. I mean, funerals are not appropriate to twerk or, you know, those aren't. I mean, that's like a weird time to feel like it, but it's like what you got is. (laughs) (laughs) If the way your spirit grieves is with a body roll, I'm not going (laughs) to. Well, she's in a better place. I can't even. Not today or tomorrow. Not today. <laughs> anyway, how um, how has your week been? I know you had a pretty uh, exciting, interesting, joyful, exuberant night. Well, that's why my body just can't stop dancing. Like, hey, hey. Um, this is one of those days where I love the Twin Cities so hard. Yes. Um, so we are post-election night. Um, last night, I was at Andrea Jenkins' election party. Andrea Jenkins, who is now the city councilor for Ward 8 in Minneapolis and the first Black trans woman elected to city council office. Um, I think I got that right. There's a lot of people saying, like, who's first and who's not first. And just like whatever, Andrea won. And that's just a dope-ass thing for this city. And it's been interesting seeing people celebrated all over the internet because Andrea is such a part of my day-to-day community life that sometimes I forget that she is a big fucking deal Mm. and that this victory means so much to so many people and not just the folks who are looking forward to being represented by her because she shows up in community and has been an active member um, of Minneapolis's civic life for a long time, but because talking about, you know, a a black trans woman in her fifties who's 
like started the day with a picture with her parents, which just touched my heart in this particular way because mm-hmm. there's so many narratives around queer and trans people not having their biological family. And it was just awesome to celebrate with her last night and then see that Melvin Carter won. And so uh, St. Paul, Minnesota just elected its first black mayor and Melvin Carter the third. Um, so uh, Jeremiah Ellison won his seat uh, in the Ward for, for uh, no, Ward 5, excuse me, Ward 5 of Minneapolis. Um, and I think he's just done a really, really excellent job of distinguishing, distinguishing himself as a community activist, um, someone who I got to know a lot at the fourth precinct shutdown in Minneapolis as an incredible artist um, and as someone who is just a brilliant force in his own right and not just because he's Keith Ellison's son. Mm-hmm. And so Jeremiah won last night and it was just amazing to see everybody be so excited because, you know, this like a year ago today, you know, mm-hmm. whenever this posts today is November 8th, you mm-hmm. know, a year ago today, like so much joy got sucked out of our communities and we were afraid and we were scared and, and in Minneapolis and lots of other places, but like this city that I live in, you know, people just started saying, we take it back at the local level. Fuck Trump. We take it back at the local level. And so mm-hmm. um, we had this incredible roster of candidates who were like queer and young and black and trans and artists and, you know, just like radical in their communities. And because of the way that we do voting, ranked choice voting, a lot of the a lot of the elections haven't been called yet. But there's a young trans man in Ward 4 of Minneapolis, Philippe Cunningham, who gave a 20-year incumbent a run for her money. Like, they still don't know who won that who won that race because it's mm. so close. And so I'm just sitting here with a body roll in my spirit and a, twerk in my, yes. and a twerk in my twerk behind. In like, no head Minneapolis and yes. St. Paul. Like, again, like yes. St. Paul, Melvin Carter last night, and it's just like, we doing it big, Twin Cities. Hey. I love it. Yes. And I, you know, Twin Cities is where I'm from. Um, and so it was really cool to see, um, to see the victory last night. So I agree with you. Like Andrew Jenkins, the first transgender woman of color to be elected to a public office. Um, she campaigned for city council and she won with 73% of the votes last night. 73%. Like she won like shit. You know, and to be a you know, 56 year old woman who is a poet and a historian, um, I was doing some research on it. It says that she transitioned in her 30s and she brings 25 mm-hmm. years of public service to the job. And I think what I'm most here for is what she said in her speech. She says, as an African-American trans-identified woman, I know firsthand the feeling of being marginalized, left out, thrown under the bus. But those days are over. We don't just want a seat at the table. We want to set the table. I like I there's so many ways that I'm just in awe of Andrea. Um, I know. There's been sometimes just a generational divide between um, like queer and, and trans folks around like, well, you know, we do this this way. And, you know, the old people, they don't know what they're doing. And like, I just look at Andrea as a 56 year old black trans woman. And I live in this community that is so like such a haven for queer and trans youth. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many resources. And I just tell people all the time, like you, um, you get to live in a city, you get to live in a city that that mm-hmm. embraces you and can hold you in this way because Andrea Jenkins has been a part of this community for such a long time. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Congrats to her. That's wonderful. It's just, it's very cool. It was also cool to see uh, a friend um, and I were watching the um, election results come in last night and um, while eating, you know, terrible food and things like that. But uh, it was really cool to see people really mobilizing and really trying to make sure that this Trumpism, as the media called it, um, doesn't prevail and that people were really starting to kind of take their power back. Um, I think, you know, with President Obama's win and, and things like that, it, we, I feel like in some ways that Black people, we were so, um, we were celebrating that we had all of this, these moments of equality and that we had all this representation. And then in some ways kind of lost sight of the fact that this can't last forever. You know what I mean? And so I think that Trump being elected and the Republican Republicans kind of taking over the House and, and things like that, like, mm-hmm. it woke us up to know that like, yo, this, this shit is real. And that like, in order for us to, to gain systemic power, we have to get out. And so- it's really cool to see the ways in which people um, mobilize to to see ones like this, even in in the city council. So um, I don't know it. It's it's really it's amazing. It's amazing to see just a place like Minneapolis, St. Paul, being so progressive policy wise, but also just making sure that representation is happening. You know. Yeah, and I mean, local politics is so different for me because. How whatever feelings of happiness that I have for President Obama and and what what his victory meant and you know the representation, it felt really good. But it's so different to know that this is somebody I'm going to see in the coffee shop. You know, <laughs> like <clears throat> when I'm at the bookstore, I might run into him. Um, and and so you know, so there's that um, that closer relationship. But there's also you know, I feel like some of what we dropped. Um, some of what we dropped as activists and organizers after Obama was elected was mm. was some of that organizing energy. You know, we sort of were like, "Oh, we got it. <laughs> you know, we got it. Homeboys in the White House. Now he got us." Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that doesn't. I hope my hope for all of this is like I'm I'm definitely sitting and letting the euphoria and the win and and all of that. Um, sit with me, but you know, we lost some big elections last night, at, at least in Minneapolis. There's some some candidates that we wanted who just didn't, didn't break through um, in that way. But like, it's up to us, even when we're really happy about who's in office, who looks like us or identifies in ways that we identify that we still hold their feet to the fire in the same way that we would anybody else. Right. Right. But for now, this twerk in my spirit. Go ahead, liberation twerk. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. That's wonderful. Well, I'm glad that um, I just celebrate. We celebrate you um, today because you are you're incredible uh, in terms of the work that you've been doing in the community and the work that you will continue to do. And I, like I said, I love in her speech that she said, we don't want a seat at the table. We don't just want that. We want to set the table. And so being able to be a stakeholder and say, this is what we want the direction um, of our lives to be. This is what we, you know, our self-determination in terms of building the future that we want. So shout out to Andrea Jenkins. Shout out to you and, you know, all the victories across the nation uh, last night for people of color and, um, you know, LGBTQ folks. So. Yeah. Yeah. So what have you been up to outside of um, election stuff? What else have you been up to these days? You've been traveling uh, a lot, I know. Have you done any granola <laughs> activities lately? Um, I'm going to be leaving town again on tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm headed to uh, to DC for for a podcast conference. 
Okay. Um, but have I done any granola activities lately? It's like, that is like asking someone, so how often is water wet? I'm just curious. <laughs> 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 I definitely did. Um, last night I had, um, I had a, a body work session. My body work. Okay, body um, work. <laughs> hey, body work. Body work. Work of body. Work of body. Um, work the middle. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, see, you be taking it different places. I mean, um, we've already had this conversation. <laughs> you already know where my head is at, so. Uh huh. Um, but it was really good, and like, uh, towards the end, um, I was my body was really charged and just really struggling to to settle and just you know sort of feel okay and feel safe. And my body worker, who is my friend in Platonic Bay, uh, was really doing some work to try and settle me. And I told her that I didn't need that. I know that healing isn't always soothing. Mm. So what happened for me last night wasn't soothing. It was just like a lot of energy and um, like grief and anxiety just coursing through my body. And it started to tense up the muscles in my back. Um, and and it was just, I don't know, it was just like lovely to 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 be well supported in that, like with someone who can listen to the words that I say, but also listen to the way that my body reacts to its environment and um and to just be with me for ninety minutes while uh while I get some healing. And that was last night. And after that I went to, you know, an election party to go flirt with somebody. So it was a, it was oh, a good day. Okay. It was a good day. Mm-hmm. Okay. How was flirting with somebody? Um, it was a short flirt because um, the person I went to go flirt with was like, I'm sorry, I have to go. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you should have given me a liberation twerk. That's what you should have did. Just give him liberation twerk. Liberation twerk. Hey, liberation twerk. Hey. It's funny because I tried to just do like a quick hang goodbye and like she grabbed me and hugged me really close and was like, um, that's not enough. Not after the way I slid in your DMs today. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. Is this what we're doing? You know what? Okay. Listeners, listen, listeners. I just said on our last episode, episode six, that if you listen to Erna and you're like, yo, she sounds dope as hell, I want to slide in her DMs. And you know what? Y'all took me up on that offer because here y'all are now sliding my girl's DMs. Okay. This is what we're doing. In the DMs. I mean, I said y'all might need some lube and y'all is just going clean the fuck in. Oh my God. I'm just going to say it's a to be continued flirt. Okay. All right. To be continued. To be continued. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think, what do I need in my life that I need to start soliciting for? Because <laughs> we set that intention out there in the atmosphere, and that stuff just came right through, just like a boomerang, just came right through. Oh, I've been having just such a manifest for a week. Come on, manifest. One thing I noticed, and I'm starting to have like weird feelings about it, is it seems like on my Instagram or Facebook, the less of my face I post, the more people go crazy. Mm. So if there's a picture that's maybe half my face or three quarters of my face, like <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know what what you guys are saying about my whole face. But if I post just half my face, then it just gets it just gets wild and thirsty, and I don't really understand the correlation. Well, you have a beautiful face. So I think that you do a very beautiful face. Um, So, you know, I think there's a bit of curiosity. And I also think, you know, we talked about this before 
uh, when we were talking about um, sexting and dick pics and things like that. But there's one thing to just put it all out there. But I think there's this, there's something to be said about like slowly giving people something to kind of think about and feast their eyes on and letting the imagination do the work. So maybe that's okay. Maybe in selfies, I should start showing like more shoulder and less face or something. Oh, give him some intrigue, Nicolette. <laughs> <laughs> oh, girl. oh, girl. What you been up to? Um, well, so I've been sticking to my um, 30 day self challenge, self challenge, 30 day self care challenge. <laughs> so yes. that's been, that's been going really well. Um, we're in like the third week of that. And so, yeah, I've just been feeling really good. Um, you know, drinking my water, taking vitamins, um, eating breakfast, getting sleep at night. Um, I just had a lot of personal stuff going on, a lot of transition. And so it's been really good to kind of like set the intention to reset, you know, mm-hmm. even in the most small and basic way. So that's been working really well for me. It's amazing how much more like grounded I feel now that I'm actually sleeping at night and, you know, how my skin looks because I'm drinking water and stuff like that. So yeah, that's good. Um, I've been having a good time in the gym. So much of a good time that on my Instagram, <laughs> did I say, I didn't send you that shirt, did I? Oh, you know what? While we're on the phone, I'm going to send you. <laughs> so the other night I worked out and you know how sometimes you work out and you be feeling yourself. You're like, yo, I look good. Right. So okay. I had bought this shirt um, to wear to a party that I have yet to be invited to. I'm sending it to you right now. Um, I got the shirt to go to a party that I have yet to be invited to, but I'm like, you know what? I want to just do it. Because after I went to a music festival this past summer, um, I, <laughs> I um, yeah, so after going to a music festival, whatever, this summer, like I wore a crop top and, you know, I was feeling free and whatnot. And so I decided to to purchase this sheer shirt and um, I did. <laughs> I tried it on. We're trying to create a little bit of a look for it. And I decided to post it on my Instagram. And Lord, when I tell you that the floodgates of heaven opened. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. Pull you out a blessing that listen, will not be. Hallelujah. When I tell you. It, listen. Hallelujah. When I tell you that the vision. Like, I, so I. Okay. First of all, I felt good in my body. You know, I'm trying to continue to work on, you know, my, my, my health and whatnot. And so I was like, let me, you know, work on running and things like that. So, you know, my shoulder chest to waist ratio is, you know, on point and pop in these days. Um, I mean, you see, I mean, you see the picture. I mean, what do you- I'm looking at this picture. I'm like, all right, broad shoulders and tapered waist. Get it. <laughs> so, um, you know, when, you know, when Beyonce's video hold up, when she's in the yellow dress and she's standing at the top of that building and she opens the door and then all the water flies out. <laughs> that is what basically happened. Enough water for all of the thirst. So, <laughs> but no real talk. I was feeling good about my body, posted a photo and it was really cool to, um, you know, even though you feel good about your body, it's also nice when other people are like, yo, you look good. So yeah, I'm just really focusing on my health. Uh, these days and taking care of myself and uh, whatever. So yeah, I'm good. Nice. But if I keep doing push-ups and sit-ups like this, I won't even be able to wear this shirt. So we'll see. All right, humble bird. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> anyway, what I did notice, you said something about, so we need to get to the stories, right? So what I did notice is that you talked I'm about um, Platonic Bay. What is a Platonic Bay? Because I need some answers. 
My platonic bay is. <laughs> no, I said what is. Well, now you don't. You didn't. I mean, you can tell me who your platonic bay is, though. I don't mind. I already know who it is. <laughs> I know you know who it is. I wasn't about to name names. Dang. Okay. Um, I was just. Uh, we were having this conversation yesterday, platonic bay and I about um about how for most of my life I've always had a friend who was really, really close to me and our, our connection was really intimate in a way that people think of life partners um, without it being sexual. Mm-hmm. I was going to say without it being romantic, but I think if I'm honest, some of those connections do feel somewhat romantic. Like we love each other in a way that's it's sweet and kind of full of courtship. Right. Well, I can't wait to get you this new surprise. And you said this one thing in a sentence one day and it seemed like a throwaway line, but I'm going to get you a gift based on what you said. Um, <clears throat> like. Um, my platonic bay. Um, <laughs> I I, <laughs> I told this story about pecan trees and like how and just like going through these memories of being a, a child in 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 New Orleans and um, in my elementary school having like a bunch of pecan trees and blah blah blah. Anyway, and then a week later, this person shows up at my house with a box of pecan pralines wow. as a gift. And yeah, right. <clears throat> and so for most of my life, there's been one person in my life, regardless of what my romantic and sexual uh, relationships are, who's my friend, who is like my person, who feels, you know, like the person who, whatever else happens in the world, I feel committed to this relationship. Mm. And I think we live in a society that doesn't allow us to really value friendships in that way. Like it feels weird and odd to people, Mm -hmm. um, but it feels good and right to me. And it's just this form of intimacy that I've had much better luck with an actual like romantic sexual relationships mm-hmm. and and it's good and it's it's nourishing and it feeds me in this, in this particular way i call that my platonic bay hmm. that's like a that's such an idea right because i think a part of like decolonizing or deconstructing how we think about relationships has to do with what works for us and not necessarily what works for other people. And so you and I, over the years of being friends, have had lots of conversations around like relationships and how relationships work and dating and all those things. And I remember when we first started having these conversations and I was on some different, you know, I was in a very different place. Um, I remember one time we had a conversation about like polyamory and I like came to you with like <laughs> a lot of questions, but I also remember coming to you being like, well, that just doesn't seem really biblical, <laughs> which is like, in hindsight, really <laughs> stupid because like, I mean, the Bible, but, um, anyway, right. but yeah, like, it's just interesting. Like, I guess how I've worked through my shit around, like what relationships can and cannot be. And really at the end of the day, it's like, what do these consenting adults want? And that's all that really matters. And so I think there's so much beauty in like the relationship that you and platonic Bay have, you know, because y'all really are there for each other, really are emotionally present for each other. And there's just so much love in that relationship. So I, I think that's really cool. It's my boo. Hmm. I mean, what do you think the implications are for like our listeners in terms of relationships or like, I mean. Well, I can ask, say, say more. I mean, like you talk about triple tonic bay, but like, what does that mean for like everybody else? Like, is that something that you would encourage people to do or have? Like, Oh, you know, like, what yes. does that mean? Like, I, I mean, like, what, what's the, what's, why? Cause you yeah. talked about platonic base situation working out better than like, you know, some of your sexual or romantic relationships. Like, why is it maybe advantageous for us as human beings to have relationships like this? 
Well, first of all, like no one person can be everything for somebody, mm-hmm. right? And some of the ways that we treat <clears throat> our like romantic and sexual relationships is putting all of our expectations and needs for intimacy, for connection, for like being seen and heard on one person. And that's just like not even a realistic burden. I don't want to say burden. That's not like a realistic load for one person in your life. To carry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just, just on the strength of being able to spread that out, um, and, and share that with other people, I think it's advantageous. But I mean, other than that, I just, I, I just wonder what kind of intimacy people are robbing themselves of when they, when we think that we have to have sex with everyone that we feel strong things about, mm. you know, mm-hmm. or that every strong thing that we feel is a sexual feeling. Mm-hmm. Right? It's some, you know, like when you're a kid, when you're like, I remember being in kindergarten and um, and there was this little girl named Kyle Nunnally, and I just thought Kyle was so awesome and amazing, and she was pretty, and she was in my class, and we were friends, and we used to, like, giggle and talk to each other during nap time and get in trouble all the time. And just, like, that excitement, that giddiness that you have around new friendships when you're little, mm-hmm. I, I think we get to keep that as adults. Mm-hmm. Um but we police ourselves out of it and say that the only way that you can have that with someone is if you get to have sex with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so then, you know, and so then we start drawing these lines and ending friendships and it just like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, remember, <laughs> remember so many years ago <laughs> when, <laughs> like when at, when at our church, like people couldn't really, they couldn't figure out what to do with our friendship. They were like, oh well, the two God. of them are really close. <laughs> And they're a guy and a girl and they hang out all the time. So they must secretly be fucking, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is a thing. We have to get these kids out of sin. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Remember how everyone thought we were fucking? Oh, I do. I do. And I mean, like, I don't want to say I think it's sad because <laughs> um, I mean, right. Because I'm like, I mean, we both fly. Right. Fuck it. Shit. Um, but what I mean is that we are in this space, the, the space that was supposed to be tending to our spiritual growth and development. Yeah. And they couldn't even be happy for us that we'd found another person to like share life with. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, that's clearly wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, life must be so empty when you can't just enjoy the shit out of your friends. Right. Uh, well, yay for platonic. But yeah, I think in my... <clears throat> I remember, remember you and I were talking about a particular friend of mine and I was, I was talking about this person and you were saying to me like, yo, that seems like a really intimate relationship. And initially I was like intimate, like it's not though, like it's not intimate at all. And you're like, no, 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 no. But just like the amount of sharing and feelings that happen between the two of you, like that's very intimate. Do you remember this conversation? Uh, roughly. roughly. It's funny. I remember the conversation. I can't remember the person. Oh. That's, that's why I'm quiet. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's it's interesting because I think that it's one thing, like you said, as as a as a black woman to have these and people are trying to figure this out. Then it's another thing I think as a black man to try to have these conversations or these these um these relationships with people and people are like, Y'all niggas must be gay. <laughs> like niggas can't be that close, y'all can't be that tight. You can't you know, and it's just like, why? Mm-hmm. So Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's just like what? Why can't you have friends? <laughs> well, right, and why can't our friends fulfill different needs, or why can't we? What's the word? What like? 
and especially for guys, because it's like we can basically hang out and eat wings and drink some beer. Like those are pretty much our options. We can like work out together. But, you know, we're not going to talk about anything deep or anything intimate. We're not going to talk about anything that's meaningful. We're not going to talk about the future or what bothers us or what scares us, you know, or like in Moonlight, what makes us cry, things like that. Like that is a level of intimacy with men that is generally reserved for women or just not at all. That stuff is silenced. And so I think the friendships and the relationships that we have in which we can be vulnerable and naked um, in those ways, those are the ones that really matter, right? Those are the ones that yeah. I mean, not to say the other ones don't matter, but that's what intimacy is, right? Is being able to to look into the soul of another person without without guards up, right? Without walls. So, yeah, I'm I'm remembering. Do you remember this photograph um, that Michael B. Jordan took with? Oh, I can't remember his name. Ryan something, who is the director of Apollo. Um, Michael B. Jordan was was filming that movie, and there was just a picture of the two of them. Michael B. Jordan had his like his hand on the back of the other dude's head and the internet lost its mm, fucking mm. mind. Yeah. Like, what in the hell kind of game? Blue, blue, you know, just completely lost it over the fact that like these men who had been working really closely together for a long time came to love each other in such a way that a slight touch felt natural to yeah. them. Yeah. The same happened with the two dudes from Atlanta. Um they were at an award show at Lakeith and I forgot the other dude's name, but the same thing happened. And actually that photo to me is so beautiful um, of those two. He had his hand kind of, they were like leaning into each other crying because it was such a beautiful moment, but that intimacy between them. Um, and again, black Twitter and the internet lost their minds. So um, anyway, speaking of losing minds, there's a few other stories we have to get to. And this one, I've been waiting to get to the story all week because when it happened, I said, I can't wait to talk about this. Um, <clears throat> University of Hartford student Brianna Brochu attacked her black roommate Jazzy Rowe. <sighs> so her roommate Jazzy Rowe became mysteriously ill and suffered from like a bacterial infection. Um, that wreaked havoc in her throat for a month. She needed antibiotics. She got on Facebook Live and talked about how, um, her roommate basically like poisoned her or she like poured clam juice in her coconut oil first of all why would you touch somebody's coconut oil first of all she um she took her tampons and smeared it on her backpack she took this girl's toothbrush yeah. and put it up her ass um <sighs> jazzy tried oh. to get a room change and moved out and the dorm resident and two people confronted her and said, yo, your roommate posted all this vile shit about you. Um, and you need to know about this. And so she created a, she then put out a Facebook live video kind of talking about this and said that her roommate barely acknowledged her. She had a mean vibe. She was very disrespectful to her and she was always cutting out the lights when she studied. And this is at the university of Hartford and this girl, Jazzy Rowe, um, basically has this huge campaign of people around her saying, you know, this girl needs justice, but yeah, what do you, what do you say about this? I mean, all of it's vile and disgusting, but what always sticks out to me when I hear when I hear this story is that she got a bacterial infection in her throat, mm -hmm. like in her throat. She could have died like she was just really ill all the time. And it's. I mean, just that kind of commitment to white supremacy, mm -hmm. the kind of commitment to white supremacy to just do that much harm to someone who is not bothering mm -hmm. you at all, who's just 
just trying to just trying to get, get through school, just like you. Like she literally did not have any complaints about Jazzy. She didn't say that she'd done anything to her. Like there was nothing that started this except her calling her Jamaican mud. And so she's black and pretty and bitch gotta die. Like it's just so maniacal. Mm. It's so maniacal the the level of threat that she felt because she got a black roommate. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, first of all, this girl, you know, they're trying to they're trying to put on a bigotry charge um, to add. It's called something else, though. It's not called bigotry or hate crime. It's some other like kind of fancy term. But I hope that that sticks. Before I say anything about this this young woman, I hope that her family is sued until they cannot cough up another dime. I hope her ancestral line, including the racists that parented and raised her, continue to see destruction in all their attempts to prosper. And I also hope um, that she's reminded daily and continually punished until they stop breathing and exit this earth because of the racism that lies in their bloodline. Like she literally was just at home with her parents two months ago. So like, yes, this girl, this young woman did this, but like how, who raised you? Like literally who raised you? And like, what kind of environment do you have that breeds such reprehensible, like white supremacy and violent white supremacy to do this to another human being that you would literally put a toothbrush in your anus and then return it for your roommate to use are you serious and then the best part about this is that i read the police report um they issued the state of connecticut made the police report public obviously a public record and this young woman said that she did lick her eating utensils she did you know put this tampon blood on her roommate's backpack she mixed her lotions like what she admitted to this stuff. So it's not even that she allegedly, like she did it. And I just want yep. nothing but justice for Jazzy. But I also like <sighs> this young woman and her family, like for the rest of their life, I just hope that they suffer because that racism, the evil spirit of racism that lies within their bloodline to be able to create another human being to do this to me just goes to show again, how I've said before on the show, just how violent white supremacy is just violent. She could have died. She could have died. She had an infection in her throat. She could have died. You know, I take joy in two. Th- I take joy in one thing in this. Um, I take jo- well two things. Number one, I take joy in the fact that Jazzy left the school, so she's gone. I'm hoping that she goes to some HBCU and just like gets her whole life and is surrounded by a community of Black people who can love and support her. Um, I can't imagine. I don't know the population of Black people in Connecticut, but I would imagine that it's not. Um, it may not be the most supportive place for a person of color or a woman of color to be. Right. Um, so I, I have joy knowing that she doesn't have to face that type of torture anymore at that school. I also take joy in the fact that the woman who has been um, selected to be the judge for this case, uh, her name is Tammy Gaithers. She is a Black graduate uh, from Harvard, or not Harvard, I'm sorry, from Howard. And so I saw a photo of this woman, and I hope that she gets her whole life together, her whole life, her whole entire life together and i hope this is public so that i can watch it because seriously um i went to school i did my undergrad at at, um, minnesota state university moorhead but i initially started at north dakota state university before i transferred and i had a roommate um who was from a really small small rural town did some incredibly racist things uh to me and i within three days i was out of that room um I moved roommate. I, yeah, I had a new roommate in three days uh, because I was like, what you're not going to do is this. And I don't even know, like it was nothing to the magnitude that Jazzy experienced, but 
the notes and the things that he did to my property and stuff like that because I was this black kid from the Twin Cities and he was from this small town and he was just like hellbent on making my life horrible. And so when I read this story, I definitely was reminded of my roommate um, from college in my small North Dakota wow. dorm room from hell, you know? So, and this was obviously before the days of social media, before, you know, Facebook wasn't even out then. So. But, but you know, like, yeah, it confounds me that this white woman had the audacity to brag in a public forum and, and like to the whole worldwide internet that she did this, like, she was too much of a coward, like way too much of a coward to look jazzy in the face and say, look, I don't fuck with black people. One of us needs to go mm -hmm. uh, because that's still fucked up and it's still racist, but it's at least being adult enough to own what, you know, own your shit, own your prejudice, own your bigotry and not harm another person because you're a fucking immature child. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, oh, <laughs> it's like the audacity, the cowardice. To like go behind her back and try and try and sabotage her this way, but then still feel like this is something that I can say in the most public of forums and nothing is going to happen mm -hmm. to me. Like to have been that shielded in the world to think you could do that and nothing would come of it is astounding mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. It's astounding. Right. And, right. Um, and I'm glad Jazzy's out of that situation and out of the university. And I hope like fuck the university bare minimum returned all of her tuition and fees to her but like they also anyway they also yeah. what i was gonna say like they they owe her more than that oh, yeah. like I, you're like yep let's sue, sue the family sue the shit out of the family but um there's gotta i mean i'm not saying it's the university's mm -hmm. fault because like they couldn't like i don't know how you screen for some shit like that but like it was literally the place where she had this kind of pain and suffering mm -hmm. And so I just, I want to know how they're making it up to her besides letting her go, because that's actually not by itself. That's not doing anything for Jazzy, except, except, you know, creating an, a, the avenue and in, in, in the path for her to leave because somebody harmed her. Like, I want to know what they're doing proactively to, to make it up. Right. The one thing that I did see is that the university president issued a letter um, that said that he... Um, that they were offering her all the support that she needed and that they were sorry that this happened and that they were basically prosecuting the, not prosecuting, but they were, you know, they did that, 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 um, Brianna is not the type of student that they would want at their school and they were going to provide her all the support that she needs, but they didn't, you know, they weren't very explicit in what that support was. Um, but I was honestly though, I was shocked at the, the statement from the university president because you and I both know how white supremacy works. And so the fact that they even acknowledged that it happened, the fact that they said that they were giving her support, like, even though that's like really bare minimum, I was really shocked that the university even did that. You yeah. know, I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not yeah. suggesting that, uh, that that was enough. I'm just saying that I'm shocked that the university even co-signed to the fact that this black, this young black woman was harmed and, and terrorized, you know? Yeah. I'm, yeah. And I'm sorry, like the single, the cynical part of me is kicking in, and it's like she also really forced that mm -hmm. hand. Um, and 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 for that, I don't know this young woman, but I like, I, I don't only, I don't, I don't only feel bad for her. I feel proud of her. I feel proud of her when she knew what was happening to her. That she took a stand for herself. She made sure that other people knew. Like she didn't try and go away quietly because she was embarrassed. Mm -hmm. or, you know what I mean? And she took control she, of her own narrative. Definitely. 
Yep. She, she, she started, she launched a campaign around herself and her own justice. And that's just the kind of self-determination that is always, always inspirational mm-hmm. to see in black women and, 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 and black people, but in black women. And it also is disheartening that, that we have so much resilience and resolve because the world just in big and small ways is always right. for us. Very much, very much the truth. Um, speaking of people who've kind of taken their own voice and taken, you know, have, have, have taken their own story and made it their own, um, Al Reynolds, who is the ex-husband of, mm-hmm. um, the former co-star, co-host of The View, Star Jones, he came out as bisexual last week. Um, a lot of, t- so during Star's tenure on The View, tabloids were often writing about Al Reynolds, her ex-husband's, um, sexual orientation. And so Al came out with his own, letter he wrote an open letter um and i don't understand it came out to radar online i'm not exactly sure what provoked this i did read some reports that said that he was not able to make a statement about himself or his sexuality or anything until star was in a public relationship um i've read that in multiple reports um star actually yeah so star just announced that she is engaged uh she just announced that last week and so it looks like the same day or the, not the same day, but maybe the day after or something like that. That's when he announced, um, that's when he came out of the closet as a bisexual man. So I don't know the politics of that, but that's when he came out, um, is when she announced, um, who she was with. And I mean, people are messy because the internet is messy, but people are also suggesting that this man is also bisexual. So whatever. Um, back to Al. I mean, and that's okay, but back to Al. So. Al says, um, ever since I've been in the public eye, people have been speculating about my sexuality and speculating is a kind word for how it actually played out with anger and disdain. People have been calling me gay, closeted, a sham, and even nastier, much nastier. He says, today, I accept myself as a bisexual man. I have learned that sexual orientation is not binary, at least for me. I'm capable of loving both sexes and I have done both. Um, he and star Jones, um, got divorced in 2008. He explained in this letter why he remained in the closet for so long. He said, I'm the youngest of six kids in a Southern Baptist family. <laughs> he could have stopped right there. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> he could have just stopped the whole letter right there. He said, I'm in a Southern Baptist family. Now, I don't know if he meant like Baptist, just like standalone or Baptist as in the Southern Baptist convention. But child, the time that I had in the, the, the military chaplain corps with the Southern Baptist and all their racism and fuck shit, he could have stopped right there. Anyway, I digress. We grew up in a three-bedroom mobile home. We were deeply religious. When we weren't in church, we were in school or some after-school activity. <laughs> Sounds like my childhood. Um, his, <laughs> he said that his upbringing really led him to feel that being bisexual was a sin. He said people who were intimate with others of their own gender were the worst of all with no chance of redemption or the glorious afterlife that I was taught awaited us all. He says, as a black man, that message and the hate and homophobia were multiplied to the nth degree. He says, I will not live in fear or shame any longer. I will revel in my light and truth and bask in the light of my Savior, Jesus Christ, who loves me and accepts me exactly as he created me. Mm. What do you think? Uh, <clears throat> well, I mean, I will admit when I heard the news, I was like, oh, honey, we know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we know. <laughs> oh, no. um and and you know and just was really curious about like why why this was like so you know i'm like okay so 
Um, and so it just gave some more context when you said that apparently he was under a non-disclosure agreement about his own sexual mm -hmm. identity uh, as part of the terms mm -hmm. of his divorce. That's disgusting. She's a lawyer. <laughs> that is and yeah, she's a lawyer. But I mean, yeah, she's a lawyer, but it's also like, listen, you chose to love a man who loves men. Like mm -hmm. you chose it. Um, it doesn't sound, you know what I mean? Like you chose that whether she knew or not. Um, I don't, you know, whether she knew that before being involved with him or not, isn't clear to me. And I, I don't really care. It's just like, you put this man under a gag order about his sexuality for what? Like that's anyway, that's the part. That's well, the I think it's the protection of her, right? Why? It's the idea that like, no, she doesn't want people or, okay. First of all, I can't speak for her because I'm not her. So let me restate that it could be the idea that like you know there's going to be all this speculation or that people are going to say like you married this man who was bi or whatever and people are going to think less of her so as a means of protecting herself it's like he doesn't get to speak until you are now happily moved on so now he can talk about himself the crappy part about this is is that since this man you know based off of this letter that open this open letter he wrote this man has been tortured internally around his sexuality uh his sexual orientation um all this time and so he talked um, in parts of the letter about being homeless and being um, it, just in terms of how hard he's had to work. He talks about his um, accomplishments were really a mean for him to have identity. Like he really held on to his identity through all the things that he accomplished. And so now him being able to embrace his sexual identity is really what's making him bask in the light of the sun, <laughs> you know. Um, but I just feel like as I read the letter, it just sounds torturous as fuck. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what do you? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I just chuckled because because of an echo of a conversation that I had yesterday about we, we can talk more about it or not about it. It's just like you, I sent you the text. Somebody propositioned me like a motherfucker. I sent a text the other day. I was just like my face, my face got hot, and I had to put my phone away. <laughs> like, okay, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and in my <laughs> and in my bodywork session last night, um, like what came up for me around that was a, a number of things, like like you know being desired is kind of terrifying in, in, in some particular ways, but but also like I this is someone who's in New Orleans who who lives now where I'm from, and you know and so this is a proposition for when I'm at home, and I realize like I haven't ever been very um, very queer in New Orleans, like all of that happened for me once mm -hmm. I left home you know like I left home and I was young when I left home I was 22 I left home and then just like got all of this this freedom to explore desire and and love in all the ways mm -hmm. that I wanted to and so that that's just what was coming up for me like you saying it felt torturous and like now with this new freedom he gets to you know bask in the light mm -hmm. of love and, and all of these things but it just um <clears throat> it, it, fuck yeah. you know <laughs> <laughs> this is uncomfortable laughter. It's just like, God damn. It's it's just so hard to not be able to mm -hmm. live your truth because other people have feelings about it. And like, I mean, you know, I'm definitely an evangelist of minding your own fucking business. And there's just people out here who are not living their full lives because other people are all in their business that in no mm -hmm. way impacts them. Mm -hmm. Right? In no way impacts them. And like our rental sexuality after they split up in no way impacted right. Star Jump. 
at all. Although there is this like layer of complication because I feel like a lot of the uh, a lot of the speculation about his sexuality was also like this indirect fat shaming of mm -hmm. her when she was still fat. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, um, like Stark, because it was always like, it was a sham marriage. It was a pretend marriage. Like that, that man is not into you at all, clearly. And so it was definitely just all direct shade at him and his, his performance of gender. But there was just like this, this ind indirect way that it was like fat shaming her and saying that she couldn't be desirable. And so just like all these two people hurting together and then hurting mm. separately because other people are policing their desires. And it's just like, don't people have anything fucking better to do? Yeah. I think you're talking about the hurt, them hurting together is, is interesting. I think that, um, this is complicated, right? And not complicated because, I mean, he said what he said, so it's not complicated in that way, but it's complicated because I think, you know, I, when, when I was, when I kind of pitched this idea to talk about this with you, I talked about, um, what really bothered me, something that really bothered me and really triggered me. Um, I was watching Wendy Williams, um, a clip about this, and she was talking about how he came out as, as bi. And so she sips her tea and then she like kind of swirled it and she was like, mm -hmm. boo, we already know, which is, I mean, kind of what you just said. Um, and she was like, we, we know he's gay. And I, and I was just like, what? Okay. But he just said who he was. He came out as bisexual. And so why is it that this man came out as bisexual and you were continuing to tell him something he said he's not like he said he was bi so the idea that you take away his agency or his ability to also love women to me is like i think muting and silencing and it feels and i said this to you yesterday and we i mean we, we may still disagree on this in some ways i feel like it's very similar to being misgendered like he said this is who i am right and then so for someone to come back to him and say no you're this to me is just like uh, uh the antithesis of him being able to be himself um, with people because people are continually saying like, no, that, that dude is gay. And so I was reading a lot of blogs. Um, I was reading the open letter on blogs and I always read the comment section because I like to see what people have to say. And it was really sad to me to see the amount of women, um, specifically black women who really were shaming him and his sexuality, shaming Star Jones, saying all these horrible things about him because he also loves men. And so I don't know. I mean, this might not be the time for it because we don't have the time for it, but like, I think we really need to have a conversation about the idea that a bisexual people exist, right? That that's a part of the LGBTQ, right? Um, and also like these ideas that we have around sexuality, gender performance, sexual orientation within our own community, and the idea that people can actually love both genders and not have to be only gay or only straight, right? Like he said that it's not binary, that it's something that you can be both of. And I think that black women and just women in general are given more leeway to be able to explore sexually than men are, specifically black men. Like I think white men get a very different ticket or pass than black men. Black men, once you mess around with the guys, like you're gay. It's like, um, like an insecure, you know, we talked about this before when Molly had messed around with girls in college, that was not a thing, but Jared, Hey Jared, when Jared, you know, it said, yo, I messed, I messed with the guy. It was like, I can't fuck him anymore. I don't want to be with him anymore because he's gay. So like, we got to elevate that conversation because it's just a disservice to people's identity and just a disservice to people's truth. Yeah. I, you know, I've said this before. I think there's this weird way that people only think they only consider the sex that you have mm -hmm. with a penis to be sex. And so if you are like bisexual or pansexual or you know, like, like in that spectrum of the, the sexuality continuum, then like people don't, people only count mm -hmm. what you do with a penis. Like I know, um, you know, like as a woman, 
there's people who like I've been out with a woman in public holding hands, sitting in each other's laps, like, you know, playing with each other's hair and people not recognize us as a couple mm-hmm. because, you know, <laughs> because as even though we're being really intimate, it's like, well, neither of you have dicks. So, right. Um, and so even like the the character, Jared, even though he'd only been sexually intimate with another penis carrying person for like one time, it just completely negated the whole rest mm-hmm. of his his life, right? The, the rest of his lived experience, mm-hmm. or even his understanding of himself. Um, because only what happens with penises counts, which is like this mega combination of, of homophobia and, and woman hate. <laughs> like our bodies aren't even the ones that count in sex, apparently. Um, but also, you know, I, I, I do want to say, I, I also, like transgender folks, experience a really, really, really particular and brutal kind of oppression. Um where they are where the questioning of their own self identification often, you know, is is the way that they meet death in the street by strangers, by loved ones, um, forced mm-hmm. out of bathrooms, you know what I mean? Like so I I do think having your own experience of your sexuality be questioned is harmful and it's hurtful, but I I disagree that it it rises to the level of being misgendered because like when people are misgendered, what happens next is often very very violent, and um and puts them in in immediate danger. And I, I just think that, I mean, there's just general queer and trans antagonism in the world, but um, okay, yeah, those aren't the same things. But I wonder, I mean, I wonder about. And I hear, I hear what you're saying. And this is something I need to wrestle with. And I'm obviously open to like figuring this shit out and like exploring more. But I also think about the ways in which, I don't know. I don't, we don't have time for this. We don't have time for me to work through my shit on this. But yeah, I just, I'm thinking about it. And in part, you know, and I think some of the working through is like, you know, I remember when I was in undergrad and like I was trying to, I was exploring my sexuality and I was dating girls. I was messing around with guys and like, but I didn't. I didn't have the time. I didn't consider myself bisexual. I was just like, yo, this is, you know, oh, I'll give up with the guy, I guess, you know? And actually it wasn't even like that. It was more of like, <laughs> I went to a, I went to a party and, you know, it was okay. Basically kind of an orgy and, you know, guys were there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the girl okay, I was dating, here's, I mean, the girl I was dating at the time, she, she was super open and she was actually from the twin cities and, um, I had went to, and this actually didn't happen in, in North Dakota, but anyway, we went to a party and, you know, folks are doing their thing. And I was there and I was super uncomfortable because obviously I grew up in church and in all of that, it was like, oh, so there's a guy here. How does this work? What can you touch? What can't, you know? And so trying to figure all those things out. And like at that time, you know, in that moment, I was like, so that just happened. And so of course I leave feeling super guilty, feeling just like disgusted and all these things about myself because I think think this guy kind of touched me and I liked it, but I was with my girlfriend and like all of those things. Right. And so it's, it's just one of those interesting things about like, yeah. So if you do a homosexual act with the guy, like you're, you're probably, you know, bi or, or gay or something like that, but it's like, what does that mean for me? 
right? And that took years for me to work through, like, what does this mean for me? What does those experiences mean for me? Or what does that mean for my attraction now? You know, um, and so I don't know, when I read Al's letter, in some ways, I felt like a resonance of like, yo, what he's saying is true, especially as a black man that like, there is so much guilt and shame around who you can have sex with and who you can't, who you can love, how you can act, who you can be. And so I just think his letter is super courageous. And yo, I applaud you for for living in your truth and speaking your light, you know? And so I, I wish that instead of being like swirling tea and like side-eyeing him and be like, nigga, we already knew. I just wish there was more support because I just think that as a black man, as black men, that's not something um, that is encouraged and something that people like embrace you deeply for, you know? And I get, and I get that, you know, being also, you know, yeah. being someone who is, who is yeah, attracted to both genders, like, you know, I, it's, yeah. it's just a very different world for black men. So Al Reynolds, shout out to you, brother. Yes. Yeah. Shout, yeah. shout out to black men you know? having And one of the things that Al talks about in his Dude, letter is Jesus. the type of family that he grew up in that was not accepting of how he was or who he was and his expression. And that's something that I think is very, you know, in the work that I do around masculinity, this documentary that I'm working on and interviewing my subjects, I ask a lot about their upbringing. At what point did you realize, one of the questions I ask is like, what was one of the first sentences or statements made to you that was an attack on your sexuality? And how did it feel? And a lot of people talk about the first time they were called gay or a sissy or a faggot mm-hmm. by like their parent or their grandparent and what that felt like. And so in some ways we talk about um, being queer or being gay or bi is, you know, from people who are antagonizing, it's violent. Um, and unfortunately, there was a young man, 14 years old, um, whose dad hated himself so much and hated his son so much that he killed his son. So um, 53-year-old... Uh, Wendell Melton killed his son, Giovanni Melton, because he said that he would rather have a dead son than a gay son. Um, I was reading the police report and it's, it's brutal. I just, how could you, I just, I I don't have enough imagination to figure out how you couldn't find it in yourself to love your, your child, no matter what. You know, I like that. He was 14. I don't know. I don't have a lot to say about that. That's, we just have, you know, sometimes I think, right, you know, we started, we started the conversation talking about all of the queer and trans uh, folks who are making all of these strides. Uh, you know, just like with election night last night, um, and historically, you know, I think sometimes it's easy for me even to forget. Like sometimes, like I leave, I leave Minneapolis, and I'm like, oh, that's right, homophobia because mm-hmm. I live in such a such a queer and queer friendly community. Um, I don't want to call it a bubble. Like I'm aware of the rest of the world, but <clears throat> like I'm 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 just often really shielded from that particular form of prejudice, um, and so I. Uh, I don't know. I'm just like, it's, it's really easy to forget, uh, because, because while some of us are enjoying relative, like, safety and privilege and comfort and love and, and being held as, mm-hmm. as queer folks, um, it's still really dangerous. Still dangerous. Um, and it just, I, I mean, that's why I do the work that mm-hmm. I do. I just, I don't want to believe that this is the only world that's possible. The only one that's possible is that we get mm-hmm. filled with so much hate mm-hmm. that we'd rather end people's lives than wrestle with them in relationships. 
my heart aches for Giovanni and all that he could have been and the ways in which he was treated um, by his family, by his blood, right? Um, this police report says that he was abused physically and mentally and spiritually for many years. And they had an argument. Um, one of the neighbors said that they had a huge argument and that he listened to the argument and then he heard his father shoot him. And the neighbor said that he, that Giovanni brought his boyfriend home before the dad had actually abandoned his son. So he had left him for days and weeks at a time without any supervision. Um, and so obviously he, now obviously he started loving, you know, he was, he was a, a person, wanted love, found his partner, his boyfriend, and he would be there at the house with him. And, um, there was a lot of conversation that the neighbors had after the death that there was so many instances where Giovanni had mentioned that his father was mistreating and abusing him. And so in some ways I'm angry at the neighbors because it's like they heard the stories of this child saying that he was being abused and nobody decided to call authorities and get this child some help or that they knew that this child was living in this house for weeks on end without any adult supervision and no one wanted to see what was going on. And so I think of the ways that LGBTQ people have to, we have to like arm ourselves and be our own protection and create these loving communities around ourselves so that we can feel love and support because the cis het patriarchy bullshit is so violent. And then to add on to this fact that he's a person of color. So to think of the ways that he has to perform masculinity to be loved and accepted is so, and, and deal with misogyny and just deal with gender performance by someone who is supposed to love you. And so to now have this person at 14 years old, 14, that's like a freshman in high school, 14. These are all the things that he's dealing with waking up every day. And he told people. And then the foster, the foster mom, his former foster mom. So he had foster care, which means that the state obviously yeah. saw that he was not in a home that was loving and supportive. So his former foster mom said that the dad, Wendell, always had a thing against his son's sexuality, and he hated the fact that his son was gay. Uh, so I just, when I think about Al Reynolds' story and coming out and saying that he grew up in this really conservative background and that the worst thing you could do was love another man, which I've said before on the show, like, it seems that the worst thing that you can say to a, a person, specifically a black man, is that you're gay. That insult is the lowest because it's like, it's so disgusting within our own community and culture to love another man. Um, but in this case, it's not just words and emotional abuse, and it's not just spiritual abuse that this child endured. He died because of who he chose to love and who he was created to be. So, yeah, just a beautiful, a beautiful young man who deserved so much more, deserved to be in a place and a space where people loved him. And so I guess I just say, like, we have to work through our shit, y'all. Like, we got to work through our shit. Because the ways in which we are violent to people who are different, you know, um, was it Masa Mahershala Ali said in his uh, one of his award acceptance speeches last year that when people are persecuted, they turn into them, they turn inward into themselves. And I can't think of how many gay, bi, lesbian, transgender people, but specifically children, are walking around who have turned into themselves because every place that they go that is supposed to be loving and supportive has persecuted them. And so, y'all, we got to figure out the ways that we can be loving and present and work through our own 
you know, patriarchal, heteronormative, biblical theology bullshit in ways that are harmful to people because people don't, people deserve to be loved. I just, I'm always, um, so a friend of mine uh, uh, is a program coordinator for this, uh, this, this host, host home program for queer and trans youth. Mm-hmm. The uh, GLBT host home program through avenues and uh, it's, you know, it's just like a way to, to it's, it's a way to resource, like, to, to find, to find homes. Like you said, that's it. Like I'm, it doesn't need to be more complicated than that. It's like finding homes mm-hmm. for these young people who find themselves without homes because their parents can't love them. You know, who find themselves mm-hmm. out on the street because their parents would rather have no child than have a queer child. And, um, and it's a beautiful thing, you know, and I'm right now I'm just sort of sitting with, you know, like we look at this program and we, as, as a community, like we're, we're glad that it exists and it's this wonderful thing that exists. And, and it also exists because of this particular mm-hmm. form of like rejection and pain and, and depression. And, um, and, you know, we make, we make community, we make family, we make the, the chosen family that we have when biological family can't be there. And, I don't know, man. I'm just like, how can it be worth it to anybody to do that to children? Like, how can you do that and then pat yourself on the back and feel morally superior to a child who's now? Mm-hmm. It reminds me. Um, this is the last thing I'll say about this before we move on. But it reminds me of um, this this piece I wrote, and it was called "The Bullets We Shoot." And it really, I really kind of talked about like the ways that. Like we have to, you know, like we have to remember that the assailant, well, this, I was talking about pulse and this is something that happened a year ago, but I I said, we have to remember that the assailant who shot the victims with bullets in many ways is no different than those who shoot with bigotry and homophobia and vitriol, biblical rhetoric and cause terrorism to the body, mind and spirit of LGBTQ people every day. You know, and one of the examples I give us is we shoot bullets when we tell our sons to put some bass in your voice because you think that his voice is too soft. And people may think less of him with the speaking voice that he has. You know, we shoot bullets every time we tell an LGBTQ person that you love them and don't condone or agree with their lifestyle. You know, and I, I go on to talk about the ways that we shoot bullets and cause, again, harm to people's identity. And so we could talk about this forever, but yo, rest in power, uh, Giovanni. You deserve better. And you just deserve better. Um, so. Speaking of um, people who also need to get their shit together. Now, before I go into this story, um, I think as we've talked about before, that there's multiple ways to go into this story. So the first thing I'll say is who we're talking about. <laughs> Tyrese. <laughs> Ending it on a different slash lighter slash what the fuck note. Tyrese. Lord. So, child, do we have do we have the time for this? Do we even have the time for this? Do we have time for Tyrese is one thing, um, but Tyrese was made a video. <laughs> Do we have time for Tyrese? Do you, are you listening to this? <laughs> <laughs> I was sorry, playing the video, ahead. but I forgot that you can't hear what I'm hearing. Um, so Tyrese posted an emotional video 
because he's been in this really contentious custody battle for his only child, uh, his 10-year-old daughter, Shayla. So Tyrese got on the internet because, you know, the internet has power with a sweatshirt with his daughter's name on it. And he, the sweatshirt said Shayla rocks. And Tyrese showed off the sweatshirt and then he started crying. Tyrese says, I can't, I'm not even going to do this. I'm not even going to reenact it. All right. Tyrese says, <laughs> I'm just not, because Tyrese deserves better too. Tyrese says, don't take my baby. This is all I got. Don't take my baby, okay? He goes, I've been away from my baby for two months. I just want my baby and no one's listening because no one's in the courtroom. He continued to cry and walk around the room uh, before he started talking directly to the baby mother, the ba- the child, I'm sorry, his, uh, his daughter's mother. He says, I'm at $13,000 a month. What more do you want from me? He goes, I don't hate you. I don't know why you hate me, but I don't hate you. But you can't just wake up on September 11th and accuse me of something I didn't do. So um, in court documents, Norma, his his child's, his daughter's mother, accused um, Tyrese of abusing their daughter, pushing her to the ground, pinning her face down, putting his knees in her back, grabbing her hands with one arm and beating her with the other. And so because of that, um, because of that, um, he allegedly hit her 12 to 16 times, um, leading the child to tell the mom that she couldn't sit down due to pain. And saying that her dad beat her so hard that it hurts when she sits down. And so because of that, Tyrese is unable to see his daughter. <sighs> Do you have anything to say? Oh, I'm sorry. Before you say anything. Norma also claimed that Tyrese has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. <sighs> he has manic behavior. Um, and that she's deeply concerned with his behavior and raising their, ch- their, their child. Um, she also wrote that he beats people that he has conflict with. And that he has hit her a number of times in the past when she was pregnant with their daughter. Again, these are allegations. Um, she wants him to receive therapy so that he can have a relationship with his daughter, the kind of relationship that uh, her daughter deserves. And she wants nothing but the best for him and is willing to support him to become the father he wants to be. I mean, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking about. Like, uh, it It doesn't sound like this is a woman who's trying to take Tyrese's child from him. It sounds like someone who wants her child to be co-parented mm-hmm. with someone who will be a responsible and nurturing co-parent who doesn't abuse his child. Um, just from, from everything I read, you know, there's talk of supervised visits, you know, while he gets his shit together, like they, you know, like while he gets his shit together. And I think, that it is the worst kind of emotional manipulation yeah. and emotional blackmail to make this video and say, this is the amount mm-hmm. of child support that I pay. Like, what else do you want from me? Like she wasn't trying to get mm-hmm. more child support. She was trying to create a safe environment for her child. And PS tried to do that together. He with did Tyler. at the, at the, you um, know? because um, Russell, Russell, Russell Simmons said that you should do yoga to like, realign the went on a yoga did. retreat. <laughs> <laughs> And like, do it, yo, do that shit. Like, aligning your chakras is necessary because the world is crazy. However, and I mean, like, shout out to yoga, but but you can't tell someone someone's trying. You can't tell the world someone's trying to steal your child from you when you skip visits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you well, he was like, supposed to be spending time with town. You go to another continent court and, and don't he, show up. Was, like, did he miss a court yeah, date too, or am I misremembering that? Did you? Like, Right, like you miss a court date, you miss the visit, like you don't get to you put out there that this is someone who's who's just 
Like when you say I'm at $13,000 a month, right? What's implicit in that is this hoe is trying to bleed me dry. And that's why she's keeping my baby from me. And men have this weird relationship with child support where they think it's some kind of like, (laughs) some kind of punishment for them to provide a livelihood for the child that they brought into the world. And so that's where I'm just like really eye rolling about Tyrese. Like Tyrese has um, demonstrated, like I, you know, I think he, in in the investigation around child abuse, um, Mm -hmm. I think he was cleared of that, but in general, like he, whether, whether he just operates like a person. So do we even have time for that? Do we even have time? What um, Even in his ridiculous feud with the rock, you know, (laughs) he's just like, so right. He's so like trying to control people and the decisions that they make and, and then denigrate them publicly if that doesn't happen. And, and so, you know, so there's that. And then, the flip side of it, though, for me, the flip side of it is that I do, I, I don't know emotion, uh, I don't know Terry's emotional state or his mental state. Um, so I'm not going to make any judgment about whether his tears were real or not, even though they were emotionally manipulative. But there was just like a whole bunch more follow up of people like saying that he wasn't a man. Oh my God, what? <laughs> What? And even a phase on love <laughs> said this nigga needs to man like, don't put your hand what? over your mouth when you cry. I'm like, wait, what? Hold on. So is masculine to cry with an open mouth but not a hand over your mouth? <laughs> oh girl. No. Now no, he put his hand over and then he like made fun of him like and put his hand over his mouth. He's like Nigga, you need to oh man gosh, up out here crying, covering in your I'm mouth. So and I was just like, that is so the most hashtag masculinity so fragile thing I've heard this week. Is, is there particular postures that you're supposed to take when you cry? I was like, wait, what's happening? Um, and, and just a lot of people making fun of him for having such an emotional response, um, which also is bullshit. You know, as much as my opinion is that he was being really manipulative, like right. whatever he feels about being separated from his child obviously causes right. him emotional distress. Okay. And like, is that a thing we're making? Yeah, fun of I think so. Two things. Cause these are two separate issues and I don't want to conflate them yeah. all in one. Number one, um, this whole idea with his child, yeah, like a part of being a father, because I have a father of two children and, um, I, I, um, <sighs> um, I'm trying to figure out how to say any of this. Yeah. So part of being a father, Tyrese, is um, just this idea that like you have to figure out what obstacles you have to cross to make sure that you are present and engaged in the life of your children. Right. And so a part of that is figuring out what you need to do and what you don't need to do. The other part of that is figuring out how you can be present and how you cannot be present in ways that are detrimental to the psyche and the life experience of your child. And so based off of these reports that I've been reading, based off of these criminal docu- or these these court documents, it's like, yo. Back then, when these abuse allegations were happening was when you should have thought about your daughter being taken away, right? Because he's like, they're trying to take away my daughter from me. And it's like, you didn't think that, you know, holding your daughter down with your knee and her back and hitting her was going to get your daughter taken away. And that even if when that happened, that you might have felt so bad about that, that then you would have started seeking help. Then you might have started trying to get some counseling to try to get your emotions under control and try to talk to somebody. But no, you didn't do that. You went to parties. You did all the premieres. You did all those things, which is working. So I get it. But like. The ways that you've impacted your daughter in negative ways, you didn't even think of ways that you could um, 
get help for that. And so now you don't see your daughter and it's been months. And now you're saying that like, I'm paying the child support. Like, what more do you want? And it's just like, you, what she wants is for you to actually be a father and like show up. <laughs> you know, you can give a child all the money that you have, but unless you are present for them and you show up and you tell them you love them and miss them and that you want the best for them and that you're helping with homework and listening to their boy problems or whatever the story is, like, what's a check? And so I just, Tyrese, I want better for you, especially as a black man. Like, I want better for you. Now, listen, you can cry all you need to because my children are the most important people to me. They have changed my my life in ways that I still can articulate, and they have changed the fabric of who I am in innumerable ways. So if you need to cry, fine. I mean, Erna, we just talked about this. I was doing a keynote and started talking about my sons and started crying. So I get it. Totally get it. But like, yo, being a father is more than sending a check. Being a father is about the ways that you can enhance and pour your whole self into another human being for their thriving and flourishing. The end, Tyrese. So Tyrese, sir, um, the yoga retreat might've been good for you to get your chakras together, but like in terms of your PR and all this erratic behavior around telling the public what's going on and trying to get the public on your side, like, yo, you don't need the public on your side. The person you need on your side is your daughter. (laughs) The only person you should be trying to please is not the public. Who cares about the public? The only person that actually matters in this is your daughter and, and their mom. And their mom, because their, do- their mom is the primary caregiver <laughs> until you get your shit together. So I just want better for him. And I hate these conversations around his masculinity and crying. Like, really? Are we really right. calling out this man because he cried right. because he missed his kid? Some of y'all, some of y'all, some, when I say y'all, I'm not referring to listeners. I'm referring to the people who are out here hating. Like, some of y'all need y'all fathers to cry over y'all. Yeah, and like, y'all. You, it would have been wonderful if your fathers did cry <laughs> over you. You know, and I think a lot of times people are projecting their shit with their own daddy issues in terms of like the dads that they didn't have. And so to see a man who is moved so much to tears, whether they're manipulative tears or real ones, but the fact that he expressed that he missed his kid, like, yo, I feel like some of us didn't get that as kids and we really need it now. (laughs) And so some of that just informs the hatred we have of other men who, you know, are putting it out there for how they feel about their kid. And that's, again, separate from him not showing up and apparently not being shit to his kid. Right. Right. He had an emotion about his daughter. Damn, y'all. Jesus. And it's, I mean, I think we could at some point just nope, do not a even with, episode uh, not even with a woman. black men and intimacy. <laughs> we can fuck. This is what I mean. We like, can black fuck. men are we not going to have intimacy right. anywhere. Anywhere. Because I was going to say, not even with a woman. <clears throat> no. And it's just, it's this is harmful. This is harmful. And it's white supremacy. And like, fuck this shit. Fuck. And then, and, and then to hear in the midst of it, that there are some like, perhaps not being well treated, um, men, like mental health diagnosis. Like there's just so much in here to, to be concerned about and whether or not this oh, nigga covered his do. mouth while he's we crying. is just not but one yeah, of them. So Tyrese, please get your shit together. And I hope that you have all the resources and support you need to do that. But the one thing that you shouldn't do, and I'm just going to say to you as a friend in another place, get off the internet, please get off the internet and take, like, imagine how amazing your life and your daughter's life could be if you harvested all this energy that you're spending trying to get the public on your side and actually use that to go into figuring out how you can be a better man, a better father and loving your child. Just imagine. Anyway, y'all, it's been real. It's been wonderful. Thank you all for listening to us wrestle and try to figure out shit. And uh, we encourage you guys to listen to our other episodes, too. We've got other episodes on the docket. We're going to be having more soon. 
like I said, we're not going to be taking any more hiatuses without telling y'all, but we are back and blacker than ever. So keep listening, respond to us, let us know what you think. Um, they're going to drop our email at the end of this. So feel free to email us and let us know what you think, or if there's something that you want us to talk about. And uh, until then, keep being beautiful, whatever you look like, black, brown, Latino, white, gay, straight, whatever, be you and keep being beautiful. Um, now, Erna, if these people want to see more of you, how can they do that? Dailycoast.com. That is D-A-I-L-Y-K-O-S.com in search for my name. It's Arna, I-R-N-A, last name Landrum, L-A-N-D-R-U-M. Give me a read and give me a comment. Ooh, that was kind of like a sexy voice that you just got there. Was that like a <laughs> professional voice? <laughs> I liked it. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. I liked it. I liked it. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, if you're interested in, in my musings and what I'm doing and, and saying in the world, uh, you can come or you can follow my blog, nicholasgains.com, uh, N-I-C-K-O-L-A-S-G-A-I-N-E-S.com. And again, you can get both of these links off of reverie.com, the wonderful network that we're part of. So y'all be good. Y'all take care of yourself. Bye, and it's been another day in black on black time. Peace. Peace.